Good morning, Generations Church. My name is Rick Cook, and I want to start this morning by talking about Martin Luther. I know that he's familiar to many of us, and I have talked about him before, but I think like stories from the Bible, there are stories from church history that are worth repeating. And the way I'm going to look at Martin Luther this morning is a little bit different because I want to place him into the context of our passage for this morning, Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 2, and we are looking at the gateway of the Psalms, and I think the story of Martin Luther can help us understand what is happening in Psalms chapter 1 and 2. Recall that Martin Luther is a German Roman Catholic priest who broke away from the Roman Catholic Church, but the reason he broke away was because of some very distinct experiences. When he was a young man or still a boy, uh, maybe a young teenager, he was um, in the midst of a storm. He found himself in a lightning storm and he feared for his life. At that moment, he made a vow. He vowed to God that if he survived the storm, he would give his life uh, in service to God, that he would give his life in service to the church. He survived the storm, and Martin Luther, as he was throughout his entire life, was good to his word. And so after that experience, after he survived, he began to seek out a monastery. He wanted to become a monk, to serve God as a monk. And what he observed in his day around 1500 in Germany is that many of the monasteries were very lax. They didn't have strict rules. They had maybe a lot of sin going on within the monastery. Those were things that he would protest against later in his life. But he didn't want that. He wanted to find a strict monastery where he would be held accountable, where he would be helped in his desire to seek God. And so he found the Augustinian order in Germany, and he joined that order and he began to follow all the rules of the order. And if there was a law, if there was a rule, he would follow it. I, When I'm teaching this in church history in class, I point out to students that on the wall in the classroom, there's a list of rules there about eating and whatever else, cleaning up after yourself. And there are all kinds of rules written there. And I point out or I ask my students, how many of you have bothered to read that? And most nobody has really bothered to read the list of rules. I said, if you were Martin Luther, you would have read those rules. You would have memorized those rules and you would have followed those rules. That is who Martin Luther was. He wanted to do good. He wanted to be right with God and he was sincere in that desire. One of the things that the students or the young monks were asked to do was to offer confession. And so he would go into the confessional and he would begin to share his sins. Now, if I was his confessor, if I was the priest assigned to listen to Martin Luther, I imagine the first day I would have loved this young man because he was so sincere and he was so 
honest and bringing up maybe for an hour or two hours talking about what it was that he had done to offend God or to offend others. And I can imagine after Luther was done, I could say, my son, your sins are forgiven. And I would send him away and he would be happy. And I would feel that I had completed my job as a confessor. The problem with Martin Luther, though, is the next day he would come back. And he would again confess his sins. And I think the second day it would be okay. But by the second week, by the second month, by the second year, when Martin Luther every day is coming and confessing his sins, I think I would begin to be frustrated. My son, you confessed those sins yesterday and you have been confessing those sins over and over. Martin Luther very bright young man. He'd say, yes, I know I confessed that sin in the past. I know I confessed that yesterday. But the problem is, I don't think I was sincere. I think I confessed with bad motives. So now I have to confess that my sin, that my confession was sin. Father, please forgive me. I would have to think that the priest's who had to hear his confession day after day, would begin to become frustrated. Martin Luther, later in life, looking back at those early years in the Augustinian order, says that he became a monk's monk. If there was a rule, he would follow it. If there was a regulation, he would do it, and he would do it with his entire heart. The problem was that as he was learning about Christianity, as he was learning about God, as he realized that the standard that God set of holiness was higher than he ever imagined. So after learning more about God, he used to think God was this holy, but now he thinks he's, or realizes and understands that God is actually this holy. And at the same time, while at first he might have thought that he was this righteous, that he was almost good enough for God, as he learned more about Christianity, learned more about himself, he realized he was only this holy. And so day after day, he was finding that God was more holy. And he was finding that he himself was falling further and further short. And he felt himself on this hopeless pursuit of God. And he disparaged of it. And he actually at one point made the comment as he was suffering as he was going through this struggle to seek a holy God, he said, I think I hate God. That's Martin Luther, a monk's monk. What is going on? I think as we look at Psalms 1 and 2, we can understand, we can see what is going on. Look at what's happening. In Psalm chapter in Psalm 1, we've already talked about how two paths were set up, that there's a path that leads toward destruction, but there's a righteous path, a path of blessing. And it seems that after Martin Luther found himself in the storm, he set himself to follow that righteous path. But what 
happens to Martin Luther as he walks on that path. What he finds out is the reality that is introduced in Psalm 2. It is not the idyllic. His life is not the idyllic picture of Psalm 1, where there are those that are on the unrighteous path, and there are those like him who have chosen God, who are on the righteous path, and who experience blessing. No, as Martin Luther continues to strive down that path, to continue to strive to be on that path, what he finds is around him, there's a cosmic revolt. And there is obviously, there is violence on the streets, and there is war, and there is bloodshed. But I think what we see with Martin Luther, even more than that, we see that Martin Luther recognizes that there is a cosmic revolt inside of his own heart. And there's no way that he can fully devote himself to the righteous path because God is too holy and he himself is too sinful. And we're going to see this morning as we go to Psalm 2, verses 7 through 12, that the only true blessing, and this is what Martin Luther is going to have to learn, is that the only true blessing will come in the Son, the Son of God. And so we have been looking at Psalm 2 already. Recall what we saw last time was that in verses 1 through 3, there's a cosmic revolt. But in the midst of that cosmic revolt, God is unafraid. And then in verse 6, God introduces his sure solution to this cosmic revolt, this sure solution to the fact that people continue to reject God. Let us read, if you can, stand up. Let us read together Psalm 2. I will read the whole thing. So we will see again verses 1 through 6. And then as we turn to verse 7, we're going to hear the sun as the sun begins to speak into the psalm. And we will see the solution as it is explicated throughout verses 7 through 12. So, Let me read for us Psalm 2, verses 1 through 12. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me. And I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the sun 
or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, open our eyes to your word this morning. We pray in your son's name. Amen. We are dividing the message, verses 7 through 12, into three parts. And we're going to see that it addresses, it first mentions God, and then the nations, and then finally it clarifies, what is the gateway? What is this gateway to the riches of Psalms, or this gateway to the riches of life? God establishes the throne of the Son. The nations, they have been warned, the gateway to blessing is rooted in the Son. So let us start. God establishes the throne of his Son. Verse 7, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my Son. Today I have become your Father. So here we have now the Son speaking. Again, the narrator had spoken in verses 1, 2, 3, 4 through 6. It was God who speaks. But now it is the Son. And the Son says this. He says, He, God, has said to me, You are my Son. So the Son speaking, recognizing that God has said to him, You are my Son. And here it is a vision of a covenant that was set in the eternal past when God elected, when God chose the Son. To rule the nations. But today, it says, I have become your father. So there's this ongoing sense that the son who's been established in eternity is today active on the throne. And what is it that the son will be asked to do as he's affirmed in his kingship, as he's affirmed in his throne? It says in verse 8, Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. God reveals what he wants the Son to do. The nations will be given to the Son as an inheritance. This, of course, is being fulfilled today. I will make the nations your inheritance after the time of Jesus Christ, after his death and resurrection. We see that nation after nation have had opportunity to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message of the Great Commission, the message of the mercy of God is going forth. And so this is a promise that is established in eternity past. It is affirmed as God speaks to his son, and it is ongoing to this generation. We can have confidence that this commission will be fulfilled because it was established in eternity past in heaven. And there is a promise that this will be fulfilled in the future, in the eternity future. I will make 
the nations, your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. Verse 9. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. There will be divine judgment. This comes up over and over again. So on the one hand, we are looking at the grace and the mercy of God, but we also must recognize the righteousness and the justice of God that doesn't permit sin. And so he says, I will break them with rods of iron. And I hope you see the fragility of the world, because I think we see the world, we see the nations as stable. We see them as indomitable power that will go on, but they're not. The sun will dash them to pieces like pottery. The nations are, the nations are fragile and they will be taken in. That is the promise that the Father gives to the Son. Now, what does Psalm 2, tell the nations to do about this. If they are like pottery, if they are fragile, what are they to do? The nations, they have been warned. The nations, we read here, therefore, it's the narrator now speaking up again. So the son has spoken in the verses 7, 8, and 9, and now the narrator comes back. Therefore, you kings... Be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve and fear, celebrate his rule. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. The nations you have been warned and now the nations are called on to be wise. And then they are told to celebrate. But to celebrate his rule and to celebrate with trembling. I want us to try to grasp this comparison of putting together celebration and trembling. So there's a sense that there is tremendous awe and fear of God. But at the same time, there is this opportunity to celebrate because God is good. If you recall from earlier in the psalm, in verse 3, it said, this is what the nations have said. This is what the rulers have said. They said, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. They hate the chains of God. And what I suggested last time is that, yes, we are connected to God, but the imagery that the Bible has for us is not chains and shackles that hold us down. Yes, we are to be bound together to God, but we are to be bound not by shackles that will want to take off, that ruin us, destroy us, that take our freedom. No, we are bound together by God, by cords, cords of love, cords that hold us together close with the Father. So the nations, 
They feel like it's chains and shackles, but what God is telling them in Psalm 2 is to embrace God and to see that connection to God, that relationship with God as cords. Look at what Hosea 11.4 says. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. The intimacy and the cords of love, obviously a clear picture of a child and a loving parent, a loving mother or a loving father who when a child is afraid or when a child does well or when a child does anything, the parent picks them up into the air and holds them and holds them close. And not just close, but there's this intimacy as they hold each other together cheek to cheek. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. And God, he promises us, I bent down to care for them. I bent down to feed them. So the nations see this authority, this rulership of God as chains and shackles. But God is saying, no, they are cords of love. And you are invited. You are invited to celebrate those chords. You are invited to take on that intimate relationship with God. We are so much like the raging nations. We desire to break the chains with God. We desire to throw off their shackles. And is that not also the picture of Martin Luther? So for those of us who are rejecting God, who see these as God's relationship with us as shackles, for those of us who don't want anything to do with God, or for the nations that don't want anything to do with God, who rage against God, who reject God, what are we to do? What is Luther to do who has chosen to attempt to be righteous, but he finds there's a raging in his own heart that continues to strive against God. I think I hate God. What is he to do? What are the nations to do? What is the invitation to us this morning? Let's look at the final verse, Psalm 2. Kiss the sun. Again, there is this imagery of profound intimacy. It is a loving submission. And it is this idea that finally melted the heart of Martin Luther. After several years of striving, he began to grow and transform. He began to study the book of Psalms and to gain the wisdom of the Psalms. He began to study the book of Romans and he came to a clear understanding of justification by faith. Justification by faith alone. It's nothing that I can do, but it is the glory and the mercy of God at work to transform an individual. 
Martin Luther went from seeing himself as the monk's monk who could never achieve God to describing himself as a filthy rag who was completely unworthy of God, but justified by faith, justified by grace, the grace of God. Martin Luther himself used a wonderful analogy. He said, imagine yourself as a prostitute. Imagine the shame. Imagine the pain of that life. But then the king of the kingdom comes to you and says, I'm offering you an invitation. I would like for you to marry my son, the prince of the kingdom. That is grace. What does the prostitute do to receive that gift? She has to say yes. She has to agree. She is still the same person at that moment. She says yes to the proposal of the king or yes to the proposal of the prince. She's still the same person. She's still filled with shame and filth and sin. But the moment she says yes, she enters a relationship. She becomes a member of the family of the king. Do you see that? And everything that the king has, everything that the prince has, everything in the kingdom becomes hers because she is united with that king and with that prince and with that family. All the honor and glory and wealth and good becomes hers by virtue of her relationship with the prince. When she comes to that relationship, what does she bring? Everything the prince has becomes hers, and everything that she has becomes the prince's. So what does she bring? Martin Luther points out, she brings shame, she brings sin, she brings filth, she brings guilt. That's what she brings. And the prince, the son of the king, takes all of those from the prostitute. And what does he do with them? The son takes them, goes to a cross, and is brutally killed on her behalf. What does the prostitute get? She gets the kingdom of the king and the prince, the son. What does the son get? The son gets her sin and he is crucified and he dies in her place. And when Martin Luther unlocked that truth of the gospel, it transformed his life and he became a man who had a, the courage to break away from the Catholic Church and to stand up for that gospel truth. For the truth that we can never earn our way to God. That justification is by faith through grace. The gift of God given through his son, Jesus Christ. How urgent is it that we embrace that 
gift. How urgent is it? An invitation this morning to all of us to kiss the son. How urgent is it? Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. This is an urgent call and now is the time for salvation. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. We are called on to kiss the sun. And we continue to reject it. We continue to reject that hand that he's offering us to kiss. But I want us to remember, what does that hand look like? It is pierced with nails from the cross. And he offers it to us to kiss the sun and to take and embrace that hand or there is no other path. The only other path leads to destruction. Even if you're a filthy sinner intentionally following sin, you're on that path. If you are a monk's monk, if you are in the most strict monastery following the rules in the most strict way, you are on that path. You are a filthy rag. That is what Martin Luther saw. And so we are offered the opportunity to embrace the sun, to go on this path. And what do you find on that path? You find there is blessing. Blessed are all who take refuge in the sun. We now have a complete picture of the gateway to the Psalms. If you recall, in Psalm 1, the very first word of the Psalm is blessed. And what we see is that it is going to be a promise of blessing. Blessed is the one who takes this path. And then at the end of Psalm 2, we see blessed are all who take refuge in the sun. That is the picture. Those are the anchors. This is the invitation to enter through this gate. And let me conclude with a challenge for all of us as we finish this series on Psalms 1 and 2. There is an invitation. There is a gateway. And through that gateway is life. Through that gateway is wisdom. And let me strongly encourage all of us as we finish Psalm 1 and 2, the entryway, the gateway into the Psalms, let us encourage us to read the Psalms. If you haven't read the Psalms for the last six months, let me encourage you to open up the book and to read the Psalms and to drink in the wisdom, to drink in the life that is there. And ultimately, we are offered a gateway into wisdom and we are offered a gateway into life, eternal life, together with the Son of God. I beg you, this morning, to commit yourself to kiss the sun, to embrace the sun. The cords are cords of intimacy and love. Let's close 
in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you offer us a path of life, of blessing, of flourishing. Lord, we admit that many times we do filthy sins and we go on the wrong path. And Lord, we also acknowledge that many times we try to do the right things. We try to be the monk's monk. We try to be the Christian's Christian. And yet we recognize our heart is often far away from you. Lord, I pray this morning that once again we would grasp hold of the Son. We would grasp hold of the Anointed One. And that we would embrace Him and embrace the cords that bind us together with our Father. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, what he did on the cross, and that we receive new life. And we can receive new life this morning. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.